John chapter 13, uh, John chapter 13, um, now I am going to make a confession, I watch way too much college basketball, all right, definitely, it's definitely, and it's almost March, so you know what's about to happen, all right, but anyway, and, and, and there is a sponsor for college basketball, so you watch their commercial over and over and over again, Capital One, right, and uh, the Capital One credit card has a... <laughs> Pretty memorable and pretty simple slogan. What's in your wallet? Right? Right? Whether Samuel Jackson saying it or Jennifer Garner saying it or whoever else is saying it. What's in your wallet? And, and the implication is if there's anything else in your wallet other than a Capital One credit card, well, you're making a big mistake. Because if you let anything else into your wallet other than a Capital One credit card, you won't be able to do what you want to do. You won't have the power and the freedom, you know, to... Do whatever you want to do. Well, keep that thought in mind, what's in your wallet, because it keeps you from doing what you want to do, as you look at John chapter 13. Because in John chapter 13, it's a chapter about disciples. It's not aimed to the masses. It's aimed to the disciples in the upper room. And in this chapter about disciples, I want to tell you today, the message is going to be pretty simple. Not what's in your wallet, but what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Uh, Look at verse number two, because right there, we don't get past two verses and we are confronted with a supposed disciple who has a heart problem. John 13, two, it says, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. There was something in Judas's heart that wasn't supposed to be there. And because something was wrong in Judas's heart, if you look at verse 27, you see what he ends up doing. It says, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. If you start with the wrong heart, you end up doing the wrong thing. He starts in verse 2 with Satan just able to put something in his heart. And it ends up with Satan being able to put himself in his very body and do things no disciple should ever want to do. Betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, that's deep. Well, that's wild. I know there's a lot of stuff about Judas, and I'm not going to get into all that wild stuff, maybe for another time, but I want to look at it practically today because the Lord left this satanic implant in the disciples' midst to wake you up, saints, and to warn you that if it happened then, it could happen now. If it happened to him, it could happen to you. And if you want to be the disciple you're supposed to be, the question today is pretty simple. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you today. We thank you today, Father. We just pray, Lord, you to... Allow us, Lord, to see some things, and you'd search our heart, give us understanding. And if there's something there, Father, that shouldn't be there, help us to repent of it, get it out of there, Father, before it does any more damage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles in the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel. Um, Not Ezekiel, that's like if you live in Alabama. Ezekiel, all right? Ezekiel, no, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28. I'm going to talk about a couple of object lessons the Lord left us. I'm going to talk about Lucifer, I'm going to talk about Judas, and then I'm going to talk about you. 
We're going to start with Lucifer. And Lucifer was a servant of God. And uh, I want to say this. Number one, the devil lost everything because he had the wrong thing in his heart. Because he had the wrong thing in his heart. Look at Ezekiel 28. You know, before he became the adversary, we call him the serpent, the dragon, uh, the adversary, Satan, the devil, and all those words are very negative. But before he became the adversary, you know, the devil was called Lucifer, right? Lucifer means light bearer. In Ezekiel 28, you get a description of this being before his fall necessarily. And it says in 28.13, the Lord is speaking to him and he says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond. The beryl, the onyx, and the jasper. The sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. So this being is, is, is covered in these precious stones. And if you held a diamond out to the light, it sparkles. And, and Lucifer's body was literally over-covered, oh, covered over with these precious stones so that his body actually emanated light. He, he shined. That's what Lucifer means, shining. You know what he bore? He bore the light of God. He reflected the light of God. The light of God passed through this magnificent being and just emanated out there in the heavenlies. I don't know if you could picture it. The closest I can get is just looking at a jewel sparkle in the sunshine and Lucifer must have just sparkled in the light of God. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. Right? God is the one that's that light that was reflected through Lucifer. Lucifer was just an angel or an appearance of that light. He wasn't the light himself. He was just an appearance of the light of God just shining and flowing through him. And if you look at verse number 13 again, Lucifer, I think of it this way, Lucifer must have stood as some kind of mediator to kind of manifest God's light to that heavenly host, right? They just, they saw Lucifer just beaming and shining with that light of God that just dazzled and danced in the splendor of his body as God just passed through him and that light. Can you picture it? What an amazing being. Look at verse number 13 again. It says after that, it says, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Lucifer wasn't just a light bearer. Lucifer was a musician. It says right there, he has pipes or had pipes and tabrets. These are musical instruments actually built into his body. Wow. I mean, the Bible says in the book of Job that way long ago, the morning stars sang together. Those angels up there would sing. Who was their song leader? Who was their worship leader? Who conducted that heavenly host? I think Lucifer must, and I'm speculating a little bit, but I think it's safe ground to speculate. Lucifer must have looked out at that heavenly host and led the worship, led those morning stars, led those angels as they sang like we sang this morning with 20,000 part harmony. Holy, holy, holy. I know the cherubim are connected to worship because the cherubim are around the throne, Revelation 4, saying what we said this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So Lucifer is connected to worship. You see why we're so careful about our music here? 
Because that, that Lucifer's got his hands in music. Music's a powerful thing. Make you do things. Make you feel things. Make you kind of like just move certain ways that you wouldn't do just sitting here. So we're very careful about our music. But I just want you to see that before his fall, Lucifer had a glorious, exalted position, worship leader, light bearer. He was God's servant. Amen? In fact, in the book of Job, chapter 41, the Lord is talking about the devil, and he says, Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? I mean, Lucifer, God uses him now, of course, to accomplish his will, but there was a time when he was on God's team, and he was God's servant trying to supposedly do God's will. And here it comes, ready? But this servant of God lost it all. Because Lucifer had the wrong thing in his heart. I'll show it to you. Go to the book of Isaiah. Let me get you turning now. We're going to go to Isaiah and then back to Ezekiel. Isaiah is a few books to the left. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Take it for verse 11. Isaiah 14 verse 11. This is talking about the millennium, right? This is talking about when Lucifer is going to get dumped into the pit Uh, And the world is going to be at rest and the millennial kingdom will be here on earth. Jesus Christ will be sitting on the throne. Verse number seven says the whole earth is at rest. So that's the context of what's going on here. Lucifer is bound for a thousand years and the world experiences a true golden age with the right king on the right throne leading the right kingdom on this planet called earth. Looking forward to that day. Should be happening any minute now. Looking forward to it. I hope you are. And the Bible says right there in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11, God is again speaking to Lucifer and he says, thy pump, that's his splendor. That's his magnificence. That's like his brightness. All that luster that we saw he had back there. He says, thy pump is brought down to the grave. And the noise of thy vials, those musical instruments that you used to conduct the heavenly worship with, he says, are gone, right? He says, the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee because he's down there in the pit. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? A King James Bible names him and says Lucifer. If you got a different version, it says Morning Star. If it says Morning Star, you got a Bible that just called Jesus and Lucifer the same thing. Because Jesus is the Morning Star, Revelation twenty two sixteen. And I wonder who would like to imitate the Morning Star. I wonder who would like to steal that title from your beloved Lord Jesus Christ. So keep going with me. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? That's God just looking at how far this great creature had fallen. He had been up there, the second in command, probably right next to God himself. And God just steps back and says, now you're just faces in the pit. Look how far you fell. He says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Here it comes. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. 
to the sides of the pit. You know, people speculate about what did Lucifer actually do in the beginning. Did he lead a rebellion? Did he get these angels to follow him? A lot of that stuff is speculation. We don't know for sure exactly what he did. But before Lucifer might have led any rebellion, can you look at verse 13? God puts his finger on the reason why God had to cast him out. It wasn't the rebellion he was going to lead. It wasn't because he had a bad look on his face. God saw something in Lucifer's heart. God saw something wrong in Lucifer's heart that only God could see. And he says, here's why you've been cut down, Lucifer. Here's why you lost everything, Lucifer. Here's why the brilliance and the splendor and the worship and all the exalted position you had was shot. For thou hast said in thine heart. God's like, nobody could hear it, but I heard it. I saw what was in your heart, Lucifer. And when he says heart, he's not talking about... You know, the pumpy thingy in your chest, right? Because Lucifer is not flesh like us. So when he's talking about the heart there, he's talking about Lucifer's seat of his emotions, Lucifer's thought life. That's what was going on in his mind. And can I tell you, that's what God's listening to this morning. You might have worn a tie like me. You might have not worn a tie like me. You might have, you know, put on your jewelry or put on your makeup, or maybe you did it. You know, God's not looking at all that stuff. God's looking right past it, and God's just listening to what you're thinking and saying in your mind. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he says, the Lord looketh on the heart. That's where he's always looking. From Genesis to Revelation, that's where he's always looking today. Not your bank account, not your smile, not what's on the outside that might appear beautiful, but what's inwardly there. God's looking for some inward truth to be whispered inside your ears, some inward truth to be muttered inside your heart. In fact, in Psalm chapter 15, the Bible says, the Lord wants a man that speaketh the truth in his heart. He says, who's going to dwell in my holy hill? Who's going to abide in my tabernacle? The one that's speaking the truth. you got the truth in your lap. Is any of that running between your ears? What are you thinking about this morning? What's on your mind? What do you think of your neighbor? What do you think of me? What, I know we all got cares and burdens. I'm not saying you're not allowed to. You know, it's sinful if your mind wanders. But I mean, what are you saying to yourself? What are you like pondering? What are you after? What do you really want? You know, the Lord's listening to all those things right now, man. I can't hear them, but God can hear them. You know, uh, Superman, right? We all talk about Superman. Everybody knows that, that superhero, Superman. You know what Superman, he does? He looks out at the crowd. You know what he's able to do? He can see right through everybody, right? He can see past your face, past your eyes. He sees your heart pumping. He sees your bones, right? He sees right through people. And can I tell you, you know what God does when he looks over this congregation right now? He sees right through everybody. He sees through my rhetoric. He sees through my oratory. He sees through my face. He sees through my smile. He sees through the, the act you could put on. He sees through all of it, man. And he goes right down to your heart. He says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're about. I know why you're here. I know what spirit you're of. That should give you pause to tremble. That should make you keep a right heart between him. You know, you could come up to me and you could front with me and try to fake me out, but you can't fake God out. I mean, those Pharisees walked around with their phylacteries jangling and people looking at them, oh, rabbi, rabbi. And he would call them, you serpents. 
you generation of vipers. You whited sepulchers. You're full of dead men's bones. You know why? He would sometimes answer the Pharisees according to what they were thinking. They weren't even saying he said, but he knew their thoughts. And he would answer them according to their thoughts. Why do you think the Bible calls hatred the same thing as murder? Lust, the same thing as adultery. Why does the Bible do that? Because God doesn't need to even see you do the act. God knows what you're entertaining. God knows what you would want to do if you could just get away with it. He sees right through us. It's scary. Now go back to Ezekiel 28. And Lucifer's up there and he's got them going, holy, holy, holy. And those morning stars are singing and he's looking at them. And they're looking at him, and they're looking, oh, look, holy God. And they're singing it back to Lucifer, and he's shining with that light. And I bet somewhere in Lucifer's mind, he's thinking, I am pretty beautiful, aren't I? Look what I'm doing. This should be mine. I'm doing all the work. I'm doing all the worship. I'm the one reflecting this light. I will ascend. I will exalt. I will be, I should be God. I should be worshiping God. Said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. The job application for God is closed. We only got one. We don't need anybody else. Boom, right? You're gone. Ezekiel 28, look at verse 14. I'll show you. Ezekiel 28, 14. You know, I said all that to you right now, and I'm not expecting you to amen really loud or shout really loud today. This is like a sobering message because it's a real message because God is looking on your heart and we're supposed to be his disciples and we got to make sure we got the right stuff in our heart. So I don't expect a lot of shouting, amen, and hollering, but I want to tell you this. When your heart moves, you're in trouble. When your heart gets lifted up, oh, brother, you better put it down. When your heart gets exalted with pride or vanity or envy or something else gets in there and starts putting little roots down, you better get yourself a spade shovel and uproot that bitterness and all that junk because that stuff starts sinking and bearing roots in your heart. You're going to get a tree that's going to spoil everything, just spring it up and defile you. You got to make sure you got the right stuff in your heart. And it says there in Ezekiel 28, 14, he says, he's talking to Lucifer, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast, can you imagine this? Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou didst, hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Jump to verse 17. Oh no, 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. That's that heavenly Zion, that kingdom up there, and the sides of the north. And he says, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Here's the, here it is, ready? Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. You thought, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It isn't your light. It's his light. And anything they see good about you is because God is reflecting himself through you. But Lucifer forgot that. Lucifer thought, hey man, look at me shining over here. Look at me bright. Look at my splendor. Look at me. I'm going to get up there. I should be up there. God said, no, you don't. Down you go, boy. And he's been going down ever since. He's going to go down a few more levels. He says, therefore, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. 
Do you see how important it is to watch your heart? Because when the heart moves, man, you're in trouble. Can I tell you what happens? Because Lucifer's heart got bad, because Lucifer had a bad heart. You know what happens? Number one, he's cast out of heaven positionally in the past, and he goes from being Lucifer, the light bearer, to the devil and Satan. That's number one. Number two, he's going to be cast out bodily in the great tribulation and get sent down to earth and become the Antichrist and wreak all kinds of devilment down here. That's number two. And the number three, at the end of the millennium, he's going to be cast out eternally at the white throne judgment to burn in the lake of fire. You say, why did all that happen? Cast out positionally, cast out bodily, cast out eternally, because he had a bad heart. Because he had something in his heart that shouldn't have been there. And God saw it. And God said, that's wickedness. i got to judge you for it. What's in your heart? What's all that beauty and all that privilege lost? Because something wrong was in his heart. Mm Mm-mm is right, sister. Mm, Right? That should make us all pause. Search me, O oh God. <laughs> What's in my heart, Lord? Am I doing this for the right reason? Do I got the right heart? What's in your heart? Let's go on to Judas. Go to Matthew chapter 10. That's one illustration. Go to Matthew chapter 10 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 10. When you find the New Testament, you should find Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. Let me tell you about somebody else who lost everything. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot lost everything because he too had the wrong thing in his heart. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse number two. Now the names of the 12, what's the next word? Apostles, thank you. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, we know him, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Can I tell you this? Before the betrayal, Judas Iscariot was called an apostle. A messenger. Somebody God was choosing to send the light. (laughs) If you look at verse number five, let me show you what these messengers were supposed to do. Verse number five. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any of the Samaritans, city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the Lord Jesus Christ sends Judas with the entourage. Why? To bring the light of God's word to Israel. They're light bearers. They're messengers of God. They're supposed to send this message of the kingdom to all of Israel to get them ready for their Messiah. God's word is likened to light throughout the scriptures. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. 
Your Bible is a flashlight. Your Bible is a lamp. Your Bible is supposed to light your way. And when you take that word to the mission, to the nursing home, to the family lunch, to the street corner, you know what you're doing? You're a light bearer. And Judas was supposed to be a light bearer again, not bearing maybe physical light, but spiritual light, the message of God that was supposed to be spread throughout Israel. And like Lucifer, Judas was sent to bear God's light to a dark nation. Look at verse number eight, please. You know what God did for those Jewish apostles? He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. You know what he gave those Jewish apostles in that dispensation to confirm the message to Israel? Judas had the apostolic sign gifts. He said, Judas, you're with them, right? Go heal people. Go, go, go help the lepers. Go raise the dead. They all did that, folks. Now, we don't have that ability anymore. That stuff ceased. When God closed the door, those were the sign gifts. God gave Israel sign gifts. When Moses was back there by, after the burning bush and said, how are they going to believe me? God said, they're going to watch these signs. You're going to perform these miracles and that'll believe the message because you had the miracles, right? And then Israel was the same way. Jesus Christ showed up performing miracles. Why? To confirm the word. Guess what? The apostles to those Jewish people were given sign gifts, right? You know what happens after the door closes on Israel? The signs get put aside. And now we walk by faith, not by sight. Believe me, my brethren, if I could heal somebody, I would have done it a long time ago. Right, if anybody really had the power to go around and start laying hands on people, I wouldn't charge no $99.95. I'd go right up there to that Sloan Kevering Oncology Ward, and i just go boom, 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 boom. I'd say, get up and go play some ball. I wouldn't say, you don't have enough faith to be healed, you lying, filthy charlatan. You dirty dog to charge people freely. Right? They're supposed to perform those miracles. Freely have received. Freely give. Why am I throwing this in there? Just don't be too impressed by the faith healer on cable. All right? I'm trying to protect you. Trying to protect your sanity, your spiritual walk, and your bank account. Right? Anybody says, you just come down here, and you'll get in the healing line, and I'll pow and pow and pow, and you'll just get up. Yeah. Investigate those things, would you? Investigate those things. They screen you. They do all kinds of things to make sure what you see up there looks legit. Just, just throwing that in for you. That was free. That was free. That was free. But Lucifer's got those powers, man. In fact, in the Great Tribulation, it says that the son of perdition, who's the Antichrist, comes with all power and signs and lying wonders. You know, the Antichrist going to work miracles. Judas worked miracles. Miracles today are not a sign that God is with somebody. Not necessarily, right? So just be very careful. Now, does God heal people? Amen. I'm praying for healing, aren't you? Right? right? God, but not because I got some kind of power in my body that if you rub a handkerchief on my hand and bring it home to grandma, her rheumatoid arthritis is going to evaporate when you rub it across her knees, right? That's not how it works today, right? It doesn't work that way. But back in the past... They brought handkerchiefs to the apostles. They wanted to be in the shadow of Peter that the very shadow of his body might heal them. There was something different about those apostles back there. They had a power to confirm and bring these signs to Israel that have since evaporated and been put aside. Because the apostle to the church, namely Paul, ended his life sick, unable to see well, and unable to even heal his friends anymore. 
He said, Trophimus, have I left at my leadum sick? He said, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. He said, here's some medical advice, Timothy. Right? I know everybody at, the, everybody at the rescue mission says, just a little wine for my stomach's sake, preacher. All right, but that's not, it was a little, little medicinal advice, right? Right? It's gone now, folks. It's gone. We walk by faith and not by sight. But you know, Judas was all in on that. I want you to, Judas was part of the band there. Judas was part of the servitude there. Judas was doing those things. He was preaching. He was with the band working miracles. He was supposed to bring this light to Israel. Do you know what Judas's name means? It means praise. Judas's name means praised or praise comes from Judah. The praise of the Lord. That's what Judas's name means. So like Lucifer, I think Judas was charged with leading Israel back into the worship of their God. Jesus Christ was commissioning him with the other apostles to get in there and bring them back to the worship of their true God and Messiah. In fact, if you go to John chapter 12, and I'm, saying, I'm taking Judas practically. I know all about Judas. Don't worry. But I'm just trying to take him as an object lesson for you disciples. John chapter 12. So like Lucifer, man, before the betrayal, Judas had an amazing position, didn't he? Apostle, messenger, healer, miracle worker, message bringer, light bearer to the nation. Wow. He was pretty up there. That was a pretty high calling for Judas. In verse number 12, John chapter 12, verse 6, he even had the bag, it says. He even held the money. I mean, they trusted Judas so much, the rest of the apostles let Judas be the treasurer of the merry men, so to speak. He let them be the treasurer of the apostles. He got to carry the money. You give the money to the person that you can trust, not the one that you think is a little sketchy. So Judas had them all fooled. Judas looked great on the outside. Judas wasn't, you know, grumbling in the background. Judas wasn't over there smoking a cigarette or, you know, lighting up a doobie behind the the synagogue, you know, running off with some harlot. No, Judas was pious and holy and brilliant and wonderful. And he's out there. I bet he's working miracles. I bet he's, you know, bringing a message. He's walking with them and he's holding the money. They said, Judas, you're a good man. You're a faithful man. Why don't you just take the money for us? Hold it for us while we go do this. And Judas said, no, thank you. Of course, brother, I'd be happy to. I'd be pleased to. God bless you. Peace be unto you. I'm sure he said that to them. But Judas lost it all because just like Lucifer, he had something wrong in his heart. See John chapter 12, look at verse 3. See it? Then took Mary, now this is after the resurrection of Lazarus, right? And they go into this house in Bethany and Mary is just so overwhelmed that Jesus took care of her brother and did what he did for her brother and healed him like that, raised him from the dead. She takes her most priceless possession and breaks it so the ointment just fills the house to bless the Lord. What a sacrifice, right? Not to Judas. Judas is in there being holier than thou. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. You know, sacrifice does that. When you lay down something precious, you know what it does? It's a sweet-smelling savor to God. It fills the house. God just goes, oh, that's beautiful. But not to Judas. Judas had no heart for that. Verse number four. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, 
why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Well, that sounds awfully pious, doesn't it? That sounds holier than thou, doesn't it? That just sounds like, oh, you're right. Maybe I could have given this to the poor. Blah, 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 blah. You ever got things like that? You give money to those missionaries? Shouldn't you give it to the poor? Oh, you waste your time at church. Why don't you go feed the poor? Blah, 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 blah. Those are those Judas Iscariots, those pious, you know, pharisaical, stuffed shirt liars and hypocrites and thieves. Right there he says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now watch God just call his number. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. You know, you see all these people stand up. You know, oh, take care of the poor. They, I know some people in some churches. They got those boxes when you walk in for the poor, for the poor, for the poor. And those organizations are some of the richest, most loaded places on the face of the earth. All they got to do is sell a statue and they feed Africa for about 20 years. Don't preach to me about feeding the poor. Why don't you trade in your bends, Pop? All right. Why don't you just get rid of that marble table you got in the middle of your building and go feed some starving children. But you know, the Lord hears the cry of the... Don't kid me. Don't kid me. Jesus cared for the poor. Judas was like, oh, the poor, the poor. And the Holy Spirit says, he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. (laughs) I love how the Bible is sometimes. The Bible just goes, sing, it just cuts right through it. That's why people can't stand the Bible. That's why some of you can't stand me right now. It's just too plain. It's just too straight. God doesn't mince words when he doesn't want to miss words. He goes right through you and he puts his finger right on your sensitive spot. That's who you are. That's who you are. If you're sitting here today self-righteous, you know what the Holy Spirit's saying right now? You're a sinner. And you're going to go to hell for your sins if you don't get saved. You are not as righteous as God. You are not as holy as God. God can't stand to be around you with all that stink of sin on you. You need to get saved right now. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Now, you can fight against that and put on your tie like I do and try to look good and play the part and say amen at the right moments. But if you're not saved today, the Holy Spirit's just going to stick you. You're lost. You're lost. You're lost. He's going to prick you. And if you're saved and there's something festering in your heart and you know you're not being the disciple that you should be, you know the Holy Spirit's saying, that's you, son. That's you. You got to take care of this. You gotta take... I don't know what the this is, but you got to take care of this, Pat. I know what he said to me. I know what he said to me this week looking at this. I don't know what he's saying to you. I'm not God and neither are you, right? I'm not the Holy Spirit and neither are you. But if you're sitting here with an eager heart to hear what God has to say and somebody's preaching the Bible and you got the right heart, it's not the preacher's fault you get nothing out of it. It's your fault because it's the soil of your heart that has to receive the seed or not receive the seed. And the Holy Spirit right now is saying, hey man, I'm watching you, right? Keep going with me now. Look at... um, where was I? I have no idea where I was. Keep Oh, verse number. No, no, verse six. He was a thief. He was a thief. You see, Judas tries to hide his love of money behind the love for the poor. You know, when you read the other gospel accounts of this in Mark and Matthew, you know what happens? Judas's indignation gets the other disciples going. In the other gospels, the other disciples are talking. The other disciples are saying things. The other disciples say, yeah, yeah, we should. We should have given this to the poor. Judas looked good to them, man. Judas looked holy and pious. But the Lord saw Judas' heart and called him a thief. You know, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
Now go to Matthew 26. Go to Matthew 26. Go to Matthew chapter 26, please. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Let me show you what happens now. Ooh, man. Matthew 26. Hurry with me now to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 6. The Bible says right there, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples, plural, saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. See how Judas got the other disciples riled up, and they all started saying it. Now jump to verse number 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Can I tell you, after that incident, Judas starts looking for a way to get paid. After that incident, he says, all right, I'm going to show that Messiah. How much? How much? You see, that's what he was all about. Look at verse 14 and 15 and 16. You ever think about that? What would lead a man to open his mouth like Judas to betray Jesus Christ? Betray Jesus Christ? The one that was healing the sick and raising the dead and preaching the gospel to the poor? You're going to turn him over to those guys? You want to know why that came out of Judas' mouth? Because something was in his heart. Go to Matthew chapter 12. I'll show you. Hurry with me now. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 34. Matthew 12, 34. Matthew 12, 34. The Bible says, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's in your heart will come out of your mouth eventually. You can't hide it. It'll bubble over until it's just coming out of your mouth. You know, you go to the doctor for the checkup. The doctor says, stick out your tongue. Ah, you know why? Because that thing, that tongue, is usually an indication as to what might be sick on the inside. Go to First Timothy chapter. Let me show you what was on the inside. You want to know what was on the inside of Judas? First Timothy chapter 6. They say, stick out your tongue. In Chinese medicine, they diagnose some ailments based on different areas of the tongue and what they look like. Because what's coming out of your mouth says a lot about what's in your heart. Amen, amen, amen. Tried to do that so I didn't spit on anybody. First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 9. You know what was in his heart? But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root, the root, I hope your Bible says that, the root of all evil, not all kinds of evil, of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money, look at verse 9, is connected to perdition, destruction, total loss, utter ruin. You know, in John chapter 17, Jesus Christ calls Judas the son of perdition. Judas had a love of money. 
You know, in John chapter 12, we just read it. Judas had the bag and bear what was put therein. He held the money because you hold on what's precious to you. In John chapter 13, when he goes out to betray Christ, the disciples thought that Judas left to go buy something because he handled the money. And in Matthew 26, we saw Judas agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Make no mistake, that Antichrist, he's connected to the money. He's connected to the money, and he's going to set up a system where people can't buy or sell. Watch the money. And if money makes the world go round, the God of this world fills people's hearts with a love of money. It's connected to all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. How many professing disciples betray their calling to chase a filthy buck? Miss church like it's nothing. Miss this. Forget the Bible. Just throw it aside like it's nothing. Oh, I got to do this. I got to make that money. And I got to make that money too. I work a couple of jobs. I get it. You got to do things. But man, the devil can put some stuff in your heart sometimes, can he? What you're willing to trade because, oh, I got I to gotta make that money. I got to make that money. Not so that you just get by. Not, no, that you keep up a level of life that you want that looks good with your neighbor's. How many hearts hear God's word and get choked, according to Jesus Christ, by the deceitfulness of riches? Now, doctrinally, for all the Bible scholars in the room, I know Judas was a devil. John chapter 6 says that. I know he's a peculiar character. I wouldn't go on a Sunday morning into what I really think and who I really think Judas was. I get that. The man of sin all around there who eventually becomes the son of perdition. I get it all. Thank you for the, thank you for the memo. I get that. But practically speaking, what can we take away from this? Practically speaking, Judas's demise is a warning to every disciple to guard your heart. Because if the wrong thing pops up in your heart, you may end up going out and doing the wrong thing. So what's in your heart? Do you love money, mammon stuff so much that you'd sell out the Savior? How do you feel about sacrifice? Judas looked down on sacrifice for the Lord. Oh, waste. Oh, I can't waste my time with church. I can't waste my time with ministry. I can't waste my time with prayer. I can't waste my time with praise. I can't waste my time with Bible study. I can't waste my time with discipleship. What spirit are ye of? Because Jesus said, it's never a waste if you're doing it for me. Never a waste if you're doing it for me. But there's another spirit that's saying, "Mm, why was this waste made? What's in your heart? Finally, go to Proverbs chapter 4. Let me hurry through this last point here. We saw Lucifer. We saw Judas. Let me just show you a little bit. Proverbs chapter 4. Brethren, one of these days... I'm going to figure out how to preach those sweet, sugary messages. I'm kidding. But it just makes everybody feel good. And you go home feeling, I'm great. I'm just great. You're great. Let's, let's go have a great burger together. Yes, great. You know. And you could top your great burger with great toppings and just all feel great about yourself. But when you go to the doctor, sometimes they have to tell you things you have to fix. And uh, if you have the wrong thing in your heart, I'm telling you right now, you will lose everything. You'll lose everything. If you have the wrong thing in your heart. You know, in Philippians, the Bible says to Christians, ye shine 
as lights in the world. God's sons are God's servants today. You're supposed to be the light bearers. You're supposed to be carrying the message. You're supposed to be the ones leading others back to worshiping the true God of heaven. Will you make the same mistake as Lucifer? Will you make the same mistake as Judas? What's in your heart? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. The Bible says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. we got the Sunday school class over there. They're memorizing verses. Why? To get that word in their heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You know why you got to guard your heart, keep your heart? Because every issue of your life is going to come out of your heart. Like the soil in your garden, it's going to dictate the quality and the issues of the things that pop up in your life. Why can some people be going through nothing and the sky is falling and some people are taking it on the chin and they're able to keep going for God? The difference is not the circumstances. The difference is the condition of the soil in the heart. You could take the same seed, put it in this ground and put it in that ground. The seed is the same. The difference is the soil. The difference is the heart. The difference is the ground where God's word is hitting right now. What's in your heart today? Are you keeping it right so God can do something or is it spoiled? You know, uh, Brother Vin and I were talking about this. Maybe you know, you're keeping up on this stuff too, but that spill in Ohio, that horrible thing going on. And farmers are concerned about that spill out there in Ohio. Why? Because the soil gets contaminated. And when the soil gets contaminated, you're shot. You can't grow anything good. You can't raise any livestock. You can't, your, your food, you're in a big trouble when the soil gets screwed up. And brethren... Like you diligently cultivate soil and try to keep contaminants and pesticides and gunk out of soil, guess what? In your garden, you got to keep your heart, right? Are you going to be as diligent about your heart as you are a piece of dirt? You're the dirt. My beautiful bunch of dirt bags you are, right? But guess what? You got to keep this dirt clean. You got to keep this dirt turned over. You got to keep this dirt free of contaminants because if some of that stuff gets in this dirt, guess what? The wrong stuff's going to start growing or nothing's going to grow that God wants to grow. Go back to John chapter 13. Hurry with me, please. John chapter 13. If I go a few minutes over, you'll just put up with me just a little bit. I'm... John chapter 13. Listen, the first man, Adam, was given a command to what? Keep the garden. Here's what you got to do, Adam. Keep the garden. Keep the garden. Protect it. Keep the garden. You know what happened to the first man? The first man failed. He let the devil put a thought in there. You know what happened? Damnation. Damnation of the human race. Look at uh, John chapter 13, verse 2. It says, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil was able to put the wrong thing in Judas's heart. That's what he's aiming for, by the way. He's after your heart. 
Because God wants your heart, and he wants what God wants. So you know what he's going after? He's trying to put something in your heart, sow something in your heart to contaminate you, spoil you, ruin you for God. And he got to Judas. Judas let him in. And in verse number 27, it says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him. If you let the devil into your heart, you're going to let him get your whole body eventually. Perdition. Destruction. Damnation. Go to Matthew chapter 16. I got just about three stops left. Matthew chapter 16. You say, I know. The devil can never get into me. I'm saved. Bless God, I'm saved. I'm in church. I've been listening to you. That's got to get me something, right? You know, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I show you a couple of illustrations from Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16 is the disciples. Peter just declared who Jesus was. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, oh man, that's right. That's the rock, Peter. That's the rock. That truth, that rock you just said, that rock, I'm going to build my church upon that truth. I'm going to build my church upon that rock. You think Peter must have been like, yeah, boy, yeah, buddy, I got it. I, I didn't, yeah, yeah. He's probably pounding out what that is. Yeah, you didn't get it. I got it. Yeah, I got it. Because you know what? God said it to me, not to you. You got that? Yeah, I'm in there. I'm Peter. That's right, right? You know what happens a few breaths later? From that, verse 21. <laughs> From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Right there in the midst. You think you're closer to Jesus Christ than Peter? He was right there in church. He was right there with the Messiah himself. And the devil got right into him and started spitting right out his mouth. Started talking right in his mouth. mouth. Jesus didn't rebuke Peter. He said, devil, shut your mouth. He was talking right through Peter. The supposed rock. Are you kidding me? That's a pretty shaky rock. If in one breath he's talking like the devil and in the next breath he's talking like God, the rock is not Peter. The rock is Christ. The truth that Peter said is the rock. And Peter's there. You know why? Because that spirit doesn't like sacrifice. Jesus is talking about laying his life down, laying his life down. The disciples were called to lay their life down. And that spirit gets all up in Peter and says, I'm not laying my life down. I'm bringing in the kingdom. We're going to reign as kings, man. We're going to run this thing. And he starts talking. That's not going to happen to you, Jesus. Be it far from thee. Why was not this ointment sold to the poor, right? Just this pious talk. They'll never lay a hand. Though all men should die with you, Jesus. I will die with you, blah, blah, blah. And the devil's talking right out of them. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's happening in the midst of the disciples with Jesus right there. You think you're closer to Jesus Christ than Peter? What's in your heart? You don't think old Splitfoot could put a thought in your mind and start moving your lips when he fills you up with those wrong thinking? Oh, I think so. Go to Acts chapter 5. Let me show you another one like that. Acts chapter 5. you got to guard that heart, man. you got to keep that heart. you got to pull those weeds out. As soon as the Holy Spirit shows you one, pull that sucker out. Make it right with God. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. This is the early church now. We're not, this is after the cross. 
And he kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why had Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the lamb? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You think you're any better than Ananias? Look at chapter 4, verse 32. See right across the page? You say, oh no, he must have not been saved. Really? 4.32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Ananias is in a bunch of people that were called believers by the Holy Spirit, but he kept back part of the price. He professed to be sold out, but he wasn't really sold out. Can I ask you, believers, what's your motivation today? To be seen of men? To get a reward? Or to just say, Lord, This is for you. And if I get nothing back for this, this is for you. Here's my time. Here's my talent. Here's my children. Here's my energy. Here's my love. Here's my heart. Boom. And God says, that's beautiful. You know know what Satan says? Ooh, you're wasting something, man. Be it far from thee. Be it far from thee. Both Peter and Ananias were disciples. Both were serving God, so-called, and both let something wrong into their heart. You know what happens to Ananias, verse 5. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, Ananias drops dead. Now, I'm thankfully, <laughs> thankfully the Lord doesn't kill every Ananias today. Well, the church would be pretty empty. We wouldn't need a building. we need a broom closet. Right? If, that, if God started, but he did it in the early church. The Lord did it in the early church to teach the church a lesson about the heart of a disciple. He was establishing a precedent. I'm really concerned about your heart, and the heart of a disciple has to be sold out. The heart of a disciple is supposed to be loving sacrifice and laying things down for God in spirit and in truth. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Almost there, folks. Endure until the end. You'll be saved. I know you might feel helpless, but can I tell you something? You don't have to let let the devil into your heart. You don't have to let the devil into your heart. The devil is not a case of fleas that's just flying around somewhere, and if he jumps on you, ah, I'll have to wash the sheets. No. The devil only gets in if you let him in. Ephesians 4.27 is talking to Christians and he says, neither give place to the devil. He's saying, if you're saved, say amen just one time. One more time like you mean it. If you're saved, you don't have to give the devil any room. You don't have to give him place in your heart. You could keep that soil clean and clear with the word of God, the fellowship, the saints, prayer, and all the tools that God gave us. If you keep your heart right, the devil has no room to enter in. But if there's some envy, there's some bitterness, there's some pride, there's some anger, you give the devil an inch and he'll take the ruler. 
And, but you have the power now to not give him any place. If you're saved, he doesn't have to get in there and ruin your service and ruin your walk. The choice is yours. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know why I'm making such a big deal about your heart? Because brethren, when this thing all ends, I hope sooner than later. Amen? <laughs> Anybody hope sooner than later? <laughs> Man, if he just, if at 3 o'clock today, the Lord said, all right, that's it. He can mess up all our charts. <laughs> Some people say he's coming in the spring. Some people say he's coming in the fall. If he came in the middle of February, I'd be like, that's okay by me. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be more than happy to have gotten the whole thing wrong. Oh, that's how we're supposed to be drawn? Okay. You know, Larkin got it wrong. Darby got it wrong. Ruckman got it wrong. That's fine with me. I don't care if you can. Just even so, come. <laughs> come. Right? But you know when he comes? We got a little judgment seat of Christ ahead of us. And at that judgment seat, it ain't going to be you throwing your money in. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's the rock, right? Are you saved? One more amen. Okay, then you're on the rock. Now you could build something for him. And he says in verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You see, at that judgment seat of Christ, Jesus is going to take all his servants, all of us, all of his sons, and he's going to reward us. And at that judgment seat of Christ, the Lord is looking at the sort of your service, the spirit of your service, the heart of why you did what you did with the salvation that I gave you. And if you look across the page of chapter 4, you're going to see something about that examination day. It says in 4.1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. The Corinthians were judging Paul. Paul's like, I don't care if you judge me. I answer to God. And he says, for, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, Christians, he's talking to you now, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. When the Lord examines your life with his eyes of fire, he's going to reveal what was in your heart. What were you thinking about? What were you loving? What were you pursuing? What was your motivation? Why did you do what you did for me? Everything may look good on the outside, like Lucifer, like Judas, but the Lord is always looking on the heart. What does Jesus Christ see in your heart right now? I mean, right now. He sees it. In that day when he comes, you know what the question's going to be? It's going to be pretty simple. What's in your heart? What was in your heart? So if you finish with me in the book of Psalms, let's end in the book of Psalms, chapter 139. A message about the heart should end in the heart of your Bible, the book of Psalms. If in that day, 
when Jesus Christ comes again and takes us to that judgment seat to try our works, if in that day the question is, what was in your heart, then on this day the question is also pretty simple. What is in your heart? Simple question. Simple message. What's in your heart today? What, is, what are you thinking about today? What are you after today? What are you loving today? What are you pursuing today? What's your goal today? What are you savoring today? What's the motive behind your service today? Why you're here today? Why you keep on today? Is it sacrificed out of love for the Lord? I'm afraid, man. I'm afraid if the Lord said, if the Lord had to count how many things I did just for him, I'm afraid. I hope I could fill five fingers just for him, with no recompense of reward, with no benefit to myself. Lord, I'm just breaking this alabaster box just to say I love you. Man, that's a tough one. Are you after prestige? They all see me in the church. Look what I'm doing. Are you after possessions? Oh, well, if I do this, if I give this much, the Lord will double it. The Lord will bless me. Are you just using God to get what you want or letting God use you to get what he wants? Big difference, big difference. Well, if I, you know, if I love God, I'll live a clean life and maybe I'll find the right spouse and this will happen, that'll happen. That's nice. Those are, those are benefits perhaps, but is that your motivation? So when God doesn't give you those things, you're going to be angry like Judas? You're going to be bitter like Lucifer? You're going to be frustrated like Ananias? Or are you just there, Lord, here I am. Take me, use me, however you want, Lord. I want to be used of you. Psalm 139 is all about God being everywhere, right? His omnipresence, his omniscience, his omniscience, omniscience sorry, I can't talk today. Uh, his omnipotence, his power. It's all in Psalm 139. You believe God is everywhere, say amen. amen. You believe God knows everything, say amen. amen. You believe God is all powerful, say amen. amen. Well, then you should have the same conclusion that David had. 23. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, if you know the Lord sees everything, this would be a good prayer to make right now where you're sitting, wouldn't it? Lord, search me. Show me. Is there something wrong with what I'm thinking, feeling, doing? Psalm 51. Go to Psalm 51. Let's say the Holy Spirit answers that prayer and says, Son, You did this. Son, you got this in your heart. Son, you got this problem, son. What are you going to do then? Well, if the preaching points its finger at you, you could repent before God and make it right. Search me, oh God. The Lord says, okay, you got a pride problem. You got an anger problem. You got an envy problem. You got a lust problem. You got a bitterness problem. And he he points out those things. Okay, now what do I do, Lord? Psalm 51, verse 10. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Hey, if God points the finger right here, Lord, help me. I repent of that, Lord. I'm sorry for that. I didn't see that, Lord. It was on my six. It was in my blind spot, Father. I was motoring along. I didn't see it. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to repent of that. Help me to get victory of that. Help my heart to be just full of you and not of myself. You know why I'm pushing you on the heart? Because you'll never have the power to be who God wants you to be if the wrong thing is in your heart. Just like you might have the wrong thing in your wallet, doesn't give you the power to do the things you want to do. If the wrong thing is in your heart, it's going to be like a a dead weight across your ankles. 
You're never going to go on for God like you should be because this thing in your heart is constantly propping up and popping up and dragging you down. Psalm 19 is where we'll end, right here. We're going to stand in prayer in just a moment. Read this verse and then we'll pray. And I would ask that this would be your prayer. That if you're saved today, you'd ask the Lord to make your heart be acceptable in his sight. So that your service will be pleasing unto him. Because that's really what he's looking at. He's looking at your heart. Psalm 19 verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Here it is, ready? Let this be your prayer today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Let's stand together.